statement wins for France, South Africa and England were the main talking points from our blockbuster opening weekend of this year's Rugby World Cup. First say it was everything we hoped it would be and joining myself, Brendan Gallagher and Chris Hewitt today to reflect on it is Scottish rugby legend Scott Hastings. Right, we've got our special guest today for half an hour, so we're getting straight into it. Um, the opening weekend in France was exactly what we expected and hoped it would be in some ways. Results-wise, from an English perspective, perhaps not, but plenty of talking points to fit just into one podcast episode. Got the perfect panel, Chris Hewitt, Brendan Gallagher, and today's returning guest, Scotland Centre and ITV commentator Scott Hastings. Scott, last time you joined us, you were over the moon following a... Duhan van der Merwe in just instigated demolition of England. How are you feeling this time? Yeah, disappointed. Um, you know, Scotland, I-, I thought in the first half, played really well. Um, they-, they butchered a chance when Darcy Graham darted out on the uh, the wide channel and failed to release Kinghorn outside him. And there was an opportunity. And I did say in commentary that, you know, Scotland will only get one or two chances and they had to take them. And unfortunately, they didn't. And then the, the second half, you know, literally the, the third quarter, it just caved in for Scotland. They were their lineout malfunctioned. Um, their scrum came under huge pressure as the uh, the replacement uh, forwards were made uh, in South Africa's ranks. They built confidence, but their their press defence just squeezed the life out of Scotland. And there was no attacking purchase um, that that Scotland were able to 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 gain any leverage in the game and and kind of fell out the game in that third quarter. And, you know, South Africa just showed they've got a power game at the moment. But, you know, their their backs are classy. A bit of skill from Le Boc, you know, that, uh, that put uh, Delandi in and Delandi, uh, not Delandi, um, uh, Arenzi uh, in for the try. Um, and, and, you know, overall, I think South Africa got their campaign up and running where, where Scotland, I felt, came away, you know, slightly disappointed because they just didn't hit the high heights that they were expecting. Yeah. Obviously, as a Scotland uh, fan and man, you presumably have predicted or envisaged the path to Scotland's quarterfinal um, stage success. Is this where you expected to be in that eventuality? Did you did you expect to lose the opener to the Springboks? My, my thoughts were to beat South Africa was going to be the harder task. I, I, I think they have an opportunity to beat Ireland. Um, but having put themselves in quite a good position in that first half and challenged South Africa, I think to, to fall away, um, kind of, it was as I said, it was a disappointment. Not unexpected, but just a disappointment. So, you know, I think Scotland left something out on the pitch out there. And uh, However, it was always going to be difficult. It was always going to be a difficult ask. So, so now that that game is out of the way, you just focus on the next one. That's Scotland Tonga, and uh, you know, two weeks' time, and, and and they'll build from that because they can go in and pick the number one team again, and then they'll go against Romania, and they now know that they need to target Ireland. And of course, the great thing is, it's you know, South Africa will play Ireland in two weeks' time, so we'll know the outcome, um, and and whether Ireland can topple South Africa remains to be seen. But if they don't. It's going to be one heck of a game up in Paris in the closeout stages of the pool. I might be looking quite carefully at the scheduling this week anyway in in in, in the paper. I mean, Ireland have a fourteen day build up into into uh, the Scotland match, 
which I suppose I, I don't know. I mean, you're you're a veteran of this kind of stuff. Does that help or hinder that longer that longer gap between games? <laughs> in this in this modern world of professionalism and rugby World Cups, which is longer than a, a week in previous World Cups. I think it's a hindrance, you know, in many respects. I, I think there's an anticipation. Um, there's a lot of time to fill, isn't there, between games. Um, yes, recovery is going to be key. Uh, yes, um, preparation will be absolutely at pitch point. You know, there's not going to be a, a huge amount of heavy workload training. It means you can go heavy the first week and relax in the second and go all out in that game. But, you know, I, I think it's a hindrance, personally. I, I don't know what Brendan thinks, but um, all he thinks. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, yeah, I think it's fascinating. Players are, are used to that rhythm. Well, all but the Irish. The Irish players are used to playing every two weeks, the top players. Everybody else is used to playing most weekends. And it just, it's just a matter of getting out of your rhythm, isn't it? If your rhythm is to play every seven days, it's a, a disadvantage not to be able to do that. Um, yeah. especially, especially if you're looking to... Build form and you know and get back on the on the on the paddock and, and do what you want to you know put right what you want to put right. Two weeks is a long time to sit there mulling over things, isn't it? The the, the reason I raised it, Scott, is that I, I thought in it, I I agree with you about your first half yesterday. I thought Scotland played played pretty well. There were mistakes, there were mistakes under the high ball early that got South Africa in the game straight away. There was the butcher chance that you referred to. But I thought that your two starting props. Played really, really well in that first half. In fact, that's as well as Sanders played for a, for a for a good time. I would say it, it, it was impressive stuff. The South Africa weren't taking a lot out of them in that department. If you can bring that to Ireland, who won't be quite South Africa over the ball and what have you, and you can get Rory Darge and Richie into the game, and they weren't in the game in the attacking sense, yeah. in the in the productive sense yesterday. That in in that sense, that's the quietest I've seen them for a long time because you just got smashed out of it i mean it was it was tough for them but if you can bring you can bring that that sort of set piece security to the ireland game and get your two excellent flankers properly into the game i think you give ireland a run yes and also you know you know being a back even i admired the the scrum penalty that uh, scotland won um you know that uh, that you know it was was as solid a scrum as you're ever going to get but you know it's an at the end of the day it's an 80 minute game and We've seen the power and the strength and, and, and perhaps the lack of options of Scotland's bench cost them dear. As I said, Scotland couldn't get a purchase in the game and that that, that negated the likes, as you said, of, of Darge and the back row especially. Um, that you know he, he he was expected to get the ball quickly, but he was kind of blown out and didn't really get much turnover ball. The line-out malfunctioned. And as a result, you saw Scotland try to play the wider game plan and they just couldn't get around the fringe defence that, uh, that pressed them into errors and mistakes. Ireland's line out, uh, uh, sorry, Scotland's line out was, was obviously an issue. But I don't think Ireland hurt you off the bench up front in a way that the Springboks do. Correct. But they're they're fantastically drilled. They're so in tune with each other. that they, they, They're a real threat. And they'll be delighted to suck 88 points on, on Romania and get their World Cup campaign up and running. And, you know, they know, they know the two big games of South Africa and Scotland. If they beat South Africa, they put themselves in a great position. Uh, if they um, if they get beaten, they'll be wary of Scotland. They will be. Uh, and you know, I said that you know in the build up to the game that Scotland do have an attacking threat. And you know, when they uncorked Darcy Graham, you know, in the first half, you expected a try, and that's where Scotland were good. But 
you know, full credit to South Africa. They absolutely nailed Scotland, and and they stopped them scoring tries. And the last time Scotland were in uh, in France was uh, a warm up international against uh, France. Uh, it was a very much a, almost a full strength French team. They scored four tries in that comeback performance in the uh, the second half. So they had they had the ability to score tries, um, but it's yeah, it's up and running, and they know what they're going to do now. You're absolutely right there, Scott. To um, to, to praise South Africa, they they would have thought that was an awkward match. Well, it, well, it was. It was a, yeah. a big banana skin, and actually, as well as Scotland played in the first half, they came through it pretty comfortably, didn't they? And if that's the start of their campaign, they've got so much more, you know, firepower to bring to bring to bear there. So I thought that was a pretty ominous start for those looking to topple South Africa. Hugely so. I think there was a slight concern with uh, Evan Estabeth's um, uh, injury. Yeah. Um, I think there's a bit of a worry in the South African camp. But, the, you know, my fear was Scotland could have been blown off the park like New Zealand were at Twickenham a couple of weeks ago. And and, and it was almost, I, I used a word, it was almost disturbing watching that. And, mm. and that's what South Africa, you know, on, on full juice, you know, can do to you and do to any team in world rugby. Um, so they will look to improve. So will Scotland. You know, Gregor Townsend said in the post-match conference, he, he the lack of accuracy cost his, cost his team dear. And, and, and as I said, purchase within the game. And Finn Russell was unable to... To really influence the game, and 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 you know, as a result, to the Palotto, Hugh Jones, the back three, you know, Duan Duan Van der Merwe hardly touched the ball um, because they were playing behind the gain line instead of in front of the gain line. A little a little shout out for Finn though, although he didn't get much chance in attack. He's a tough old boy, isn't he? He was putting yeah. his body on the line, and some of his tackling was superb. He, he's not just magical hands, is he? Yeah, he, he reads the game so well defensively. He did really, really well. He, his cover tackling was immense. Uh, one in yeah. particular, there was a, a tap tackle. I think it was on Grant Williams when he yeah. came off uh, came off the bench, and another one, Cheslin Colby, who can you know sidestep in a telephone box, and you know he, he, he coped with them, and he really showed his maturity. I think within that performance, and at the end of the day, you can only play with the ball that you get, and, and Scotland never played ball, and never played, and gave him front foot football, you know, rugby uh, football, you know, in front of him, so as a result, he couldn't get his line moving, he couldn't yeah. unleash passes, and, um, you know, it was it uh, it was um, it was just the sheer physicality that, that South Africa brought, and, you know, the, the their try from Steph Dutoy, you know, was an absolute belter, you know, coming round, running, running angles, running lines, and Tua Pelotto was kind of swatted out the way as the, you know, kits off, you know, <laughs> added weight, um, you know, to the flanker going over. So it, it's, you know, they are an impressive side, South Africa. And we've got to understand that, that there's a mantra within, there's an aura within them. You used to look at the All Blacks. So South Africa are creating something incredibly special at the moment. It could have been very different from a South African perspective. They could have done in England and ended up having to play 75 minutes with 14 men. You spoke on comms about the Jesse Creel incident. Um, speak a little bit more about it, if you can. Obviously, do you actually think the TMO saw it and looked at it and then made so, it pull it back? So we, we, we don't know. I, I was commentating alongside Nick Mullins and Jim Hamilton. We didn't see the incident. And it was only brought to our attention at half time, And we were asked to comment on the second half. And... Um, 
you know, uh, you know, the reason you have a television match official um, is to identify foul play, and 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 that was undoubtedly foul play. And Ben Whitehouse um, just didn't spot it. Well, I don't know why he didn't spot it, but we're we're slightly concerned that the lack of replays um, oh. didn't didn't give us a full picture of what happened throughout the game. Yeah. Um, you know, there was always scuffle. <clears throat> Um, you know, between uh, I think it was uh, was it Delande and uh, Ben White, and um, but it was Cheslin Colby that went in uh, against Darcy Graham, um, that that erupted the whole thing. But they didn't play out and educate the audience and the viewer what actually happened, and and it was it was frustrating. The broadcast has been frustrating, um, and um, you know we've seen plenty of replays of Tom Curry's. Uh, situation and uh, I don't have the name of the Chilean player uh, who got yellow carded, but it could, you know, it was exactly the same. And it should have been a red card. Yeah, it should have been a red card. So, you know, an inconsistency in broadcasting and inconsistency in replays, uh, slightly frustrating. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting hearing today with Tom Curry, of course. Oh. I think that's. I think you've hit on a real issue, Scott, and 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 I, it was evident to me in the opening match. You know, watching over here in England, watching the TV coverage, and you're used to your BT Sports and your Skies and um, and what have you, and anything vaguely controversial, questionable, yeah. um, just in terms of law, the ex, as you say, the explanation to the viewer, yeah. they're brilliant at it, and there yeah. was stuff going on in the New Zealand France game. High ball challenges, knock-ons, forward passes, dodgy tackles, this, that, and everything else that simply was not replayed on the television here. Yeah, yeah. You didn't see it. It looked like a sanitizing. They didn't want well, to erupt and debate. If I was a conspiracy, if I was a conspiracy theorist, Bren, and, and everyone is out to get me, but mm. if I was a conspiracy theorist, I would have to say that this is the authority saying we want to take all the controversial juice yep. items. That's what it is. That's and what it and is. we're only going to replay stuff until the TMO's been through it um, and the decision's been made and there's no going back. And I think that's a pretty, pretty worrying development. If that is the case, that's a worrying development. I'd be 100% certain that's what's happening. Yeah, I I, I don't know, but it, it came as a little bit of a surprise to me. And, uh, you know, it's it's it's... It's been a tough weekend. I, you know, I was involved in a, a conversation um, with World Rugby about the bunker situation, how they were going to analyse things, and and you know it worked reasonably well, and uh, you know, and, but there has been inconsistency, and I think World Rugby were looking for consistency, and 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 they will review. Don't you know? Don't get me wrong; they're having their Zoom calls and their meetings. They're all up in Paris. They'll have reviewed everything, yeah. and and hopefully there will be an improvement, but. Uh, you know, it's, you know, you guys can comment on that. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just giving the pictures and have to commentate them and, and uh, get my viewpoint across on what's presented to the viewer at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes it difficult for you if you don't have the, the full pictures. You know, correct. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, where does it, where does it leave poor old Ben Kay, who's made a complete career out of explaining every last tiny <laughs> sniff and. <laughs> Of what's happening in the line out the scrum here, there, and everywhere, and and he's got he's got nothing to explain because we're not looking at this stuff again. 
With, well, with... I, was, uh, I was actually having a wee laugh yesterday because he was uh, he was commenting on the Fiji uh, Wales game, which is an absolute cracker. And I was just checking his pronunciations of all the Fijians. He was a wee bit quieter than usual. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it would amaze you to learn, um, Scott, that that your old um, your old mate Gareth Chilcott once uh, commentated as second voice on an England-Georgia match and got yeah. through the entire game without mentioning a single Georgian player. <laughs> All about him. <laughs> yeah. There's one moment in that game that um, needs talking about in a more positive light, and this certainly was replayed enough. Um, Scott, you touched upon it. Manny Lubbock. Brendan, that is some way to announce yourself properly on the world stage. Uh, it was sensational. I mean... I'm not even sure how you physically do that. A no-look kick, sort of default. I mean, no-look passes I get. A no-look kick is phenomenal. All I would say is I've watched quite a bit of URC this year, and he does this sort of stuff. He is a really X-Factor player. And it's it, it does show a, a bit of a, a shift in, in box mindset that they give him so much responsibility. Because he'll do something else brilliant in the next match and the next match after that. So I mean, it was brilliant to watch, and 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 it's so so unexpected from a South African team, if I might say so. He sliced it. He sliced it. It was a, you've seen him kick off the tee. That's a that's a that's a that's a slice off the first. That one. He's looking that way, and it ended up going over there. We've seen that a thousand times in local rugby. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, just weigh in on that moment. I mean, for me, <laughs> it was the piece of skill of the weekend, without a doubt. Maybe even the moment of the weekend. Phenomenal, simple as that. Phenomenal bit of skill, and uh, he. I actually had a note written uh, next to his name, which was, which was, he has looked so comfortable, you know, coming in and 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 commanding that number ten jersey, and uh, it was the fact that it was straight after uh, the toys try as well. It was a double whammy for Scotland, but it was just individual brilliance. That that set that try, you know, alight, and it was just extraordinary, and uh, you know, a, a, a brilliant World Cup moment. And I know you guys will go on and, and talk about the uh, the England performance. Uh, I was in the stadium on on Saturday evening, and when when um, Ford was dropping his goals, it was a phenomenal piece of skill. What he what he was doing was extraordinary, and and the whole momentum of the game was shifting. Argentina was so poor, but for him just to keep that scoreboard ticking over, that was as equally uh, exquisite in terms of what he was able to do. The skill level to match that w- was extraordinary. So fly halves, undoubtedly, they're going to have a bearing in this tournament. I, I, I guarantee that. I'm glad you said that, Scott, because you know, excellent win and it was for him, and it got sort of downplayed a little bit as a match. It wasn't great spectacle. I thought it was brilliant. I thought. Uh, to conjure those three drop goals, especially the two long-distant ones, oh. seemingly from nowhere, to absolutely nail them. And nobody expected it. They said yeah. they'd rehearsed it. I don't believe that. I just think he's been instinctive and doing what a, a good instinctive fly half does. It's phenomenal. I mean, I remember yeah. that as much as some of the great tries of this tournament. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. You're right. It wasn't, the great, it wasn't the greatest game in the world. But what it was, was Argentina... You play what's in front of you. Argentina were a disaster. They lost ball in contact. They coughed up penalties. They gave possession to England. Hey, they were 14 men in an opening game of the World Cup. Just carry on and do it. And and the fact that you just kept that scoreboard ticking over, tremendous. Every now and again, you see it from England. I mean, they are horrendously inconsistent. 
But I couldn't help thinking back to the 2007 quarterfinal against the Wallabies when England had a terrible time in the pool. And what they basically did was absolutely sack the breakdown, made the life really, really uncomfortable for the Wallabies and basically said, we're not going to play. But you know what? You're going to do even less than us because we're not going to let you. And they did something similar in Dublin against Ireland when no one gave them a prayer just a few months ago. Until the Freddie Stewart incident, they made life a real pain in the rear end for Ireland around the breakdown. And they did that to Argentina. But of course, if you're doing that, you've got to get some points from somewhere. Mm. So to me, George Ford, and there are still some people out there who don't think he's the best game manager in English rugby. I don't know. I don't know what those people are on. I mean, to me, he's head and shoulders tactically above anyone else. And he had an understanding of the game. On the uh, against Argentina, an understanding of what needed to be done, and as soon as England were absolutely putting the shutters up around the breakdown, he said, "We'll go for points now. We'll build a score." It's the old rugby thing, isn't it? Build a score. Yeah. yeah. And here's another thing: I wonder how many times in his England career he has ever played without either Ben Youngs inside him or Owen Farrell in the team, either at twelve or on the bench. He was the main man on Saturday night. He had he was the bloke who had to pull it out of the fire. And he really loved the responsibility. And I got a feeling that he is that kind of player. He might be even better on his own without his, you know, he's been playing with those two for 15 years. But actually on his own, he is outstanding. I'll, I'll tell you what, my old mate Stuart Barnes, who's who, who Scott will know very well, who's a big Marcus Smith nut. I mean, Barnes, he's banging on about Marcus Smith all, all the time. But if Stuart Barnes had been the number 10 in Marseille for England on Saturday, he'd have played exactly the same way that Ford played. They're very similar in that respect, actually. He'd have played exactly the same way. He'd have said, we're not really in a place at the moment where we're going to run away with this. We're not going to score six tries. What we're going to do is we're going to build a score. Correct. And just say to the Pumas, we're giving you nowhere to go. What are you going to do about it? And they didn't have an answer. They didn't even begin to have an answer. Yeah, I thought I thought inside him, Alex Mitchell was superb. He had a great game oh, as well. Yeah. He, he brings a real fluency. I, I remember commentating uh, Northampton Saints against La Rochelle in the Heineken Champions Cup, and I I said that you know he should be in the Six Nations, and and you know it was it was a travesty he wasn't. But look at look at the way he's taken his opportunity, and and just just a little subplot on that. You know, England did build that lead in the scoreboard. They put Argentina under pressure. They went for a you know five meter driving line out. Argentina's defence was fantastic. They didn't get a try, but if they had, suddenly that would have been a seven point or you know the margin of victory. But you're absolutely right, guys. Building building the score on the scoreboard was just phenomenal in that game on on Saturday. Yeah, and Alex Mitchell was the fourth best scrum half in England until about five minutes ago, <laughs> yeah. which is a rubbish position to be because I'm the fifth best. Steady. <laughs> <laughs> Where do England go from here? Obviously, this has opened a massive door, which everyone is talking about now, which is the return of Owen Farrell. I actually am going to go round the panel and think, say what England should do, because there's a debate. Does Farrell come back in as a guaranteed starter at 10? Do you fit him in at 12? And then maybe as a result, some handcuffs are proverbially around George Ford's hand. Brendan, what would you do? No, you have to, you have to um, you have to go with Ford. You don't you don't tinker with a little bit of momentum and magic. You have to bite the bullet and make that choice. Owen Farrell is a brilliant bloke to have on the on the bench. I mean, absolutely, you know, can cover ten and twelve. Goal kicker, good, good influence in the changing room. But 
I don't see that you change it. I mean, unless there's injuries at 12, or, you know, if Manu breaks down or something, um, I don't see why you would change it at the moment. Scott, do you agree with that? Uh, totally, 100%. Um, you know, if it ain't broke, uh, you know, don't have to fix it. And and, and they can build against uh, Japan uh, at the weekend and um, play a more expansive game, you know, change it a little bit. But no, Ford, Ford to start, far on the bench. Get on with it, England. You, you, you've you know you've got momentum, and momentum in World Rugby World Cups is really important. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, Farrell Farrell's not available for the Japan game, as I understand yes. it. Um, it's chilly. Not too much. Yeah, it's chilly after that. So I mean, people will be rested all over the place. So that will be a, a very unfamiliar side. Be interesting to see what they do against Samoa, because Samoa, depending on their results, could be. A bit of a, a could be a, a bit of a threat. I mean, quite, well, quite a significant threat, and they're always going to be a threat physically. So whether you, whether you say to Owen, actually, Captain, um, we could do with you soaking this lot up, and then we'll we'll make the hard decision for the quarterfinal, yeah. whoever it's going to be against. Uh, mm. But I, I I would have Ford as my starting ten anyway. I don't lose sleep over Farrell at twelve. I'm okay with it because I I I put. The, the ox out at out at thirteen, much like quite like Marchant. I I prefer to land as a thirteen because I don't think he has particularly has the skills um, to provide the second ball player fill the second ball player role. But I mean, a lot of people disagree with that. I, I can quite see them ending up with Ford and Farrell at ten and twelve. I mean, that's what got them to the World Cup final last. But Chris, do you agree that Tuolangi at twelve had his best game in an England shirt for quite a while? Oh, he 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 made, he made a, a sensational tackle, and it was a great tackle. And he he made sixteen yards, sixteen meters on the carry. That's okay. I, I mean, look, I mean, he, I've seen him play a whole lot worse. Yeah. Um. I you know my views on the inside center position. I prefer somebody who does who's got more in the more in the locker skill set wise than Tuolangi has. That's my that's my preference. Um, and I quite like the idea of a big, threatening, aggressive centre, Scott, at 30, <laughs> who's, who's, who's running into soft underbellies, um, running into parts of defence. I know the game has changed, but I still quite like my, my big, my big ball-carrying, hard-hitting centre at 13, because I just find it less predictable. Manu is quite predictable. Having said that, he did a lot of good things on Saturday and fair play to him. Yeah. But what you've got there is Tuolangi and March and a midfield comb- combination that worked pretty well on Saturday and now has the chance to potentially settle for the net, you know, for the Japan and the Samoa game. Well, I don't think I set the Thames on fire in an attacking sense, but I mean, but England as as a, as a side didn't do that. Um, I think no, I mean, I like Marchant. I think Marchant's had a really good season. I think he deserves his place. But at some point, a decision is going to be have to be made, and I don't see this England hierarchy leaving out their captain. Not, not for the big games. Let's open the red card door. Obviously, England had the only red card of the weekend, of course. Scott, was it a red? Under the laws of the game, yes. No mitigation, no change of direction or anything like that. It's, it's, just, it's, it's so tricky. We're so forensic in everything that we do at the moment. Um, the, the one thing I would say is there was... There was no intent at foul play. And are they looking at foul play? And there was no intent in foul play. And the fact is, we've had similar incidents throughout the opening weekend 
So I'm sure the defensive team of the uh, you know the, the England Rugby Union will go in and present those particular facts. And um, I think I, I I don't know how they can ban them. My my difficulty is is that we wouldn't be talking about this if the shoulder had been lowered by Tom by Tom Curry. If he'd gone in low, we wouldn't be talking about this. He went in high. And you suffer the consequences if you go high. I don't buy into the whole, you know, everyone's saying it's unlucky. First of all, it's the fourth red card from an England player in six games. There's only so unlucky you can get without there being a fundamental issue. Um, but you're, well, Chris, you're laughing. Well, it, it's a hangover of empire. If there's going to be a red card, England will get it. it well, the this, rest of the world. That's where I was going. The, the, re- the rest of the world is getting thinking. No, look, I, th- I thought three very similar in- incidents, which, which did have their differences. And Curry, Curry's was the most serious of the three, I thought. Uh, I thought he came in faster than the others. I thought he caused more damage to the others, not least himself. Um, uh, under the laws, as they stand, and under the way the game to referee, Scott's absolutely right. They're, they're, that, that, that was a red card. Um, are we saying that any head contact of any description, of any power and velocity, is automatically a red card? That's a pretty long road to be on. I think some judgments have to be made. I think they had a long look at the Chilean incident and decided that there wasn't that much damage. It wasn't anywhere near as bad as what had been had happened 24 hours before. And they said yellow card's sufficient. The Creole thing I don't understand, the fact that it's not not reflected at all by the match officials, that was very strange. Um, I, th- I think it's tough. I, you know, if you're going to take action on this, on this whole head injury thing um, or head danger of head injury, you have to draw a line somewhere. And the line is at the moment you don't go in high and put yourself in a position where you're going to clash heads. And, and that's, that's the thing. England keep on asking referees and TMOs and bunker officials to make decisions, don't they? They're putting themselves in that situation. Well, Although, I mean, I didn't think that Tom Curry was a particularly bad one, but was it a red? It probably was. It, you know, having got his eye in, the, the lawyer might be able to really mitigate that one quite a bit. And it's only been two matches anyway, but... Nowhere near as bad as Farrell and Vunapola. No, no, it, 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 but, but, you know, technically it is, but... Shoulder, actually, head, tackles. Shoulder and head tackles are different. You don't and have he wrapped to his arms. He wrapped his arms yeah, as well. There's, there's but, nothing accidental about those. Yeah. You're going in high. I mean, yeah. that, that to me was it, it, it smelled of a rugby incident to me. Um, but, but under the existing protocols, it was a red. Indeed. Yeah. You also wonder whether England have shot themselves in the foot in the past few weeks as well, because obviously the foul and Vunapola incidents, they were bad. And we talk about replays and having a look at it. England are almost going to be under the microscope anyway, because they now have it getting gaining a reputation for a squad that has, you know. Has these sorts of incidents happened? Do you not agree? Yeah, you've got to change the narrative. England are exactly the under the microscope all the time. Yeah, hence, well, I don't know. South Africa seemed to be in the good books. Hence, the Jesse Creel hit was was <laughs> not so much under the microscope. Um, Scott, I know you need to to get going. Could I just ask you very quickly who's going to win the World Cup? <laughs> 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 I think there's still a few shocks to come. Uh, I was expecting one uh, yesterday. Uh, I'm sure our, our Welsh li- listeners would disagree. Um, <laughs> but uh, Fiji had their chance and uh, they showed you know, what, what phenomenal rugby players they are. Um, I, I always thought that France might just do it 
um, on their home turf. And it's all about how they could cope with that pressure. And they got themselves off to a good start on Friday night. Um, but South Africa, there's so much more to come, isn't there? So it, it, um, it's going to be a great competition and it's got us all talking. And that's why we're, uh, we're chatting today and reflecting on a great opening week. Not the most brilliant scintillating rugby across the board, but talking points and intensity and oh. stadiums, stadiums packed to the gunnel. Atmosphere was absolutely phenomenal. And uh, God, these are special moments and I'm just so lucky to be involved. And, and uh, I hope you enjoy the, uh, the next few weeks because there's going to be some great action. Yeah, 100%. I think man, 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 you're, 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 on, you're on your way to church now, are you, Scott? No, I, it's happy hour, I'm afraid. So I'm, I'm going to see you guys. See you guys. <laughs> happy hour on a Monday. Can't complain, eh? No, right. not too bad for some. See you later, Scott. Thank you so Good much. You. Cheers, now. Cheers, gents. Yeah, Enjoy. Scott. Guys, we'll keep going for a little bit because I think there's still a little bit more to talk about. Um, you just mentioned the France game. Do we think... France or South Africa, Chris made a bigger statement at the weekend. Um, in in a in a way, I think I think France did, insofar as they have a bit of a track record. Well, a lot of a track record actually of of not delivering in in Paris, not delivering in front of their home fans. You know, we all think back to the two thousand and seven tournament when they completely. You know, they butchered a couple of games in front of their, their, well, more than a couple of games in front of their home fans. They, they had a rough old time. So they've always carried this uh, this sort of spectre of, 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 coming, up, of coming up short and, and underplaying, um, underplaying or, or playing, not playing up to their status. I think they did play pretty well on Friday, actually. Uh, one of the big encouragements for them will be to lose a player as important as Marchand at Hooker as early as they did and then bring on that Malvaca who had an absolute belter of a game. I mean, only surpassed by the Chilean Hooker probably, but not playing in quite the same environment. Um, I, I think that's a big thing for them. I think they have a decision to make in the second row because I'm not sure that Wocky and Flamand are, are terribly comfortable together. They're two relative lightweights. When I say lightweights, I mean they're not the smallest, but they're they're two players of a particular type. They don't they neither of them are a tractor lock like Paul Valemsa who they've lost. So I think Tanford Fanua when he came on made a big difference. Um I thought they were strong off the bench, France, and and that's going to be a big thing because if they can be strong off the bench, they do end up playing the spring balls. They're going to have to match them off the bench and they are one of the few sides who are absolutely geared up to do that. I think one thing that I just want to bring up, obviously, Friday night was phenomenal. The opening ceremony, the atmosphere at the Stade de France, the anthems have divided opinions. Now, I'm not 100% clear on the context. School choirs in France have been commissioned to come up with their own versions of the anthems, which... They were initially going to sing live and then that was retconned last minute. And they said, instead, go and enjoy the games from your homes and we'll play it through the PA system. Obviously, none of us have been in any of the matches in France, but you can see on the TV, the the Marseillaise should have hit. It should have, you know, our living room should have been shaking. And they weren't. 
obviously it, the quiet it's a difficult one because it's obviously a nice initiative but Brendan, you've got to juggle it's, that. it's not working ollie and and like i'm sure the kids are fabulous and in fact that their renditions are very nice but that's not want what a seething stadium of eighty thousand want you know um anthems are a, a release they're released for the um the crowd eighty thousand. everybody at home the players you just want to get it out there it's pride and passion and anthems are not for listening to they're for singing even if they if you sing them appallingly, like most rugby teams do. So it just isn't working. I mean, funnily enough, it worked on one occasion at the Japan match the other day. Now, the Japan anthem is a listening anthem. You can't sing to it. It's not a sing-along. It's a beautiful, haunting, soulful piece of music. And that was the one anthem that has worked. So I think, I think, like you say, a nice initiative. I would get all these kids together in one of the venues, one of the, one of the World Cup towns, and maybe do a concert or something, or just have a night of really beautifully sung anthems. But when you're at the match, you want it full Monty, 140 decibels, and you want to be roaring at the end of it. You could see it in some of the players' faces. The anthems ended, and they just had a little weird smile on their face. Like this yeah, what was that about? Yeah. Wasn't, this wasn't quite right. It Well, it reminded me of, um, I don't know if you remember in the Summer Nation series, when the Murrayfield crowd was completely out of time with the bagpipes. And the players were almost <laughs> laughing mid-anthem. And that was, you know, something was actively wrong there. And that just shows goes to show that something was not quite right with these anthems. We're all out of time, we're all out of time with bagpipes. The definition of, an, definition of a gentleman Here we is go. someone Here we go. who can play the bagpipes but doesn't. <laughs> so are you um, a gentleman, Chris? I'm all right. I'm all, weirdly, I mean, I mean, I've read a lot of complaints about the anthem. The opening ceremony, by the way, I didn't really, that I didn't understand. To, to be honest, because I thought it was so busy that it was very difficult to know what the hell was going on. The fact and, and the, the very fact that World Rugby, whose attempts to explain anything are almost the definition of disaster, um, um, had to put out a statement explaining what the hell was going on, so that Miles Harrison could tell us on the on the screen, dear dear old, dear old Miles, who was as bemused as anyone else, I think. But he was sort of reading it off the script, so so that that was a very strange thing. I don't I don't mind the anthems. I, I think it's pretty rotten of the authorities to say to the kids who, who have all come from difficult backgrounds, as I understand it, it's been a, quite the social initiative to try and get them involved, which is a wonderful thing. It's pretty rubbish at this juncture to say, well, instead of coming to the grounds, you lot are just stay home and watch it on the telly um, and we'll, we'll, we'll use the tape. I mean, they should be there. I don't mind it, but I, I don't like anthems anyway very much. I'd sooner they weren't there at all. I think that the trend in Australia and New Zealand to make these big spectacles of the anthems with all this accompanying music, so it's an anthem in four different movements and all that kind of business, it just, it drives me up the bloody wall. And the English national anthem, I would say this, wouldn't I, is possibly the worst in the world. So I don't care what happens to that. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't mind them. I mean, you know, quite, quite, you know, Scotland do Flower of Scotland, the second verse of it, a cappella these days, do they not? They have the bagpiper on the stand, you know, who, who, I mean, either he falls off the stand every time and can't play the second verse, or they just say, don't bother to play the second verse and we'll just sing this a cappella, which is fine. That's worked okay up there. I don't mind. I mean, the anthems are not top of my list of important things, but um, but I have nothing against either the initiative 
or the effect. I do have a slight problem with the fact that the kids have been let down in terms of match attendance fairly late in the day. I, I find that slightly objectionable. Yeah. It's funny that you say that there was a lot going on in um in the opening ceremony and it became a bit convoluted. I feel like that's exactly what that point was. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> Oh, the opening ceremony, let's be honest, was exactly what I thought it would be. It was incom incomprehensible French twaddle. But I, I, I settled for that anyway. Yeah, you know, I can't if I wasn't disappointed in it, then get on with the rugby. Yes. Would, you, would you like me to run through all that again? But, uh, really, really not, no, but I do oh, agree. Okay. I, do, I do agree with you that the last minute turning around and saying, you know, positively framing, oh, watch it in the comfort of your own homes, it's like, no, we don't know their faces now. We know their voices, and I'm, you know, if you want them to be in the eyes of the world, which is the whole point of the initiative, you've got to put them out there, right? Also, it might, it is worth adding here that opening night at World Cups, and 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 the final night will be pretty corporate affairs. Yeah, pretty corporate affairs. I mean, I I can remember distinct lacks of atmosphere, um, in um, uh, in World Cup finals. Uh, most notably, and Brem will remember this, when France got to the final in 99. Yeah. yeah. Play Australia. And... Um, Very flat. Very all, flat. All, all the Kiwis and all the Springboks who had who bought, you know, bought tickets assuming that their countries were going to get to the final and then put them on the market. And of course, and the people who buy them on, you know, off the, off the, off the secondary market uh, tend to be not your rugby man in the street because they, they're going for scalpers' prices. Um, it we it was a pretty dull. It was a from the crowd atmosphere kind of uh, perspective. It was a pretty dull occasion that, and I wouldn't be absolutely shocked if France failed to get to the final this time. Uh, if it wasn't pretty flat in Paris again, although the England fans did kick up quite a racket in Marseille, uh, did they not? It, it did seem to be a whole lot more noisier and more intense than anything they generated Twickenham. Well, yeah, but are England getting to the final? No. No, I think they. I, I think from here they got a fifty. They got a fifty-fifty quarterfinal, haven't they? Yeah, they have a fifty-fifty quarterfinal. If they get through it, they lose. Yes, and, and, unless their opponents have so beaten themselves to a pulp, getting out of the quarterfinal in the tough half of the draw that they're that they're completely walking wounded and riddled with injuries. But I, I think I think the moment England play a strong side playing well, they will lose. However, they've given themselves a. Um, you know, a cheerier, a cheerier line into the quarterfinals than they might ever might otherwise have had because they'll beat Japan for sure. I can't see that they they fail to beat Japan. No, no, I'd agree with that. I just on the England subject, actually, one question I forgot to ask. So Ellis Genge has obviously he he posted a cryptic tweet, which was after the England Fiji game, which was like write us off all the best or something like that. I can't remember the exact wording, and he's now come back and obviously you know, had a told you so moment and said that England were always on the right track. And that I don't know how far back he's going when he says England were always on the right track. But can you actually fathom that he would genuinely have believed that? He's a loose head prop. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was not convoluted, Chris. <laughs> actually, before, before we move on from England, finally, I thought Courtney Law was, was magnificent. And I really felt for him his hundredth cap was that, you know, Pretty yeah, diabolical performance against Fiji. He had these four kids with him and wife, and you know, a bit of a flat day, I suspect, despite it. But my god, he was good. And actually, from the moment the, the red card, he was he was obviously captain for the night, very cool, pulled him around, 
put in some really big hits and some big plays in the next 10 minutes to make sure England knew that, you know, they were still, this game was still live. And I thought it was one of his finest moments. Agreed. He was, he was phenomenal. Um, yeah. Yeah, look, we'll wrap up in about five or 10 minutes. I am going to ask both of you gentlemen for your moment of the round, your player of the round and your match of the round. So I'll give you five minutes to have a little sort of sub, uh, subconscious think about that. Wales-Fiji was last night. It may well be one of our matches of the round. Brendan, if you're waking up as semi Radradra today, how are you feeling? Um, you're feeling gutted. Uh, I mean, I, I could have a good rant about this match. I don't know how long we got. No first, of all, first of all, I didn't think Fiji were at their very best, actually, despite a magnificent match. They got the balance wrong between using the backs and their newfound power up front. And on occasions on the line there, it was like watching Exeter Chiefs about four years ago, going through 32 phases and going nowhere sometimes. They haven't got that part of their game sorted. And they haven't got Caleb Munts playing, who not only kicks the goals from 40 metres that they were putting into the corners, but also demands the ball when they want the ball. Having said that, so I, I didn't think it was their best performance. Having said that, um, and possibly they didn't deserve to win, but they deserve to be refereed properly. And I don't think they were refereed properly at all in phases of that match, especially that midway through the second half when Wales were on their line, four consecutive penalties, three for professional fouls, deliberate um, uh, messing around. That, that was unbelievable that there wasn't a yellow card. There was also a load of other incidents going on there that the referee missed. Uh, Bigger should have got a yellow card. D could have got a yellow card. And then from that non-giving of the yellow card, it's Bigger's 50-22 that puts them up the end. And it's Elliot D, who shouldn't be on the park, who's scoring the try. And I thought that was pretty unacceptable, but very predictable, because that's how T2 nations get refereed in the end. Uh, and if I was Fiji, I'd be furious about that. I would take it on the chin about losing because, like I say, I'm not sure they deserved to win, but I'd be absolutely fed up with that, and it, it mustn't happen again. <laughs> of course, it'll happen again. <laughs> this is a perception. Rugby's about perceptions as much as anything else. I mean, there's some traffic online um, uh, today defending Matt Carley and uh, what happened in that last 20 minutes. I thought Carley actually refereed pretty well until he didn't. Yeah. Um, um, because I, I, I've grown to like Carly's slightly headmasterly uh, approach to these things. He doesn't call anyone mate, which is one of the great blessed reliefs of, of, of our rugby age, that a referee doesn't think that he's actually the, that he twin brother of the bloke he happens to be speaking to, which drives me absolutely nuts. I thought he was okay. And I agree with everything that Bren said, by the way, about the Fijian performance, which was odd at times. Um, but there is this traffic online which is going decision by decision by decision and saying Carly got this right or Carly was justified in doing this, blah, blah, blah. Well, you can do that. You can go into the law book and you can read the small print and you can come up with that's not wrong, that's only half wrong or that's understandable, etc. The cumulative perception of the last 20 minutes was that it was a totally one-eyed referee in performance. It was a shocker, actually. And I think Carney just mis misread the body language of the game 
in that 20 minutes, I think he lost his bearings a little bit. He became, he doesn't strike me as one of life's panickers, but I don't think he was thinking as clearly as he might have done. And Fiji really, really did get the smelly end of the stick. And for Ranrandra to drop the ball at the end, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a guts ache for him, but I don't think they had a kicker on the field who was going to kick the goal from the touchline to win it anyway. No, no, no. I mean, I'd have backed Caleb Munster to kick it, but he ain't there. Um, I, I just think that it's... We've seen this World Cups forever and a day. The last World Cup, Fiji played their opening game against Australia. Old Reese Hodge got away with murder in that opening game by almost decapitating some bloke with a head-high tackle. Should have been red-carded, wasn't... Um, and it's just it's just a, a pile on. The Samoans have put up with it down the years, not so much the Tongans maybe, but Samoa and Fiji have been on the wrong end of so many bad refereeing periods, not complete performances maybe, but those 50-50 calls. If the boot had been on the other foot, oh. and well been 34-15 behind with 10 left, and Fiji were giving away penalties like it was going out of fashion, do you really think that they wouldn't have had three in the bin? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, so that was disappointed because we're going to come to it in a minute. It was a, in many ways, it was a cracking match because Fiji weren't quite getting it right, but moments of brilliance. Wales were very, very good in parts, but moments a bit shabby. Dan Bigger was going off the scale. I don't know what he was on. Um, it was a bit embarrassing at times, but also that's Dan Bigger. That's what he does. I have never seen anyone try harder than him. I mean, yeah. God alive. I, I know. No, I, I, I'll love him tomorrow. I thought he went a bit over the top yesterday. I mean, the, the grief he gives his playmates. I mean, God knows. <laughs> They're his mates, you know. And also, he was a little bit lucky. I thought he... He's not the captain, but he's talking to Carly more than Jack Morgan, you know, and he's, but you can't shut him up. Uh, he, he, he had a bit of a high shot early on in the first half. I thought he was a bit lucky not to get looked at. He was ever so slightly out of control, but, you know, you, you kind of love him for it. And, and he, when he calms down, he's a, he's a better player for me. But uh, I'm told it was the, the anniversary of his mother's death yesterday, and he was particularly, you know, um, hyped up and all of that. But I, I, I just we went a bit OTT yesterday. He, well, he was e equally passionate. I remember when, the, the night Wales beat England at, at Twickenham in 2015 to turn the whole thing on its, you know, to upset the apple cart, so to speak. He was he was in that kind of mood that night, and and he, he had a fantastic game. He kicked goals from halfway, and he was you know he was walking wounded, and he stayed on the field, and all, all the all the all the usual damn damn bigger cabaret act. And afterwards, I was talking to Alan Wynne Jones, who was who had spent all that time with him at Ospreys, and and Ospreys had gone through a spell of having a rock star team, and then a team with no stars of any description, apart from Alan Wynne and Bigger, and they were incredibly dedicated to that to that side, and they kept them afloat. And I said to Alan, um, "Can you just give me your, your thoughts on Dan Bigger as a as a bloke?" And he looked at me and said, "Sometimes." I think it's a pleasure to play with him, but only sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it was it was it was remarkable to watch, and and you know, I mean, lip readers would have had an absolute ball yesterday. I mean, God, he was giving it out. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, 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 not she to that sensitive petal jaws north. You may yeah, never, yeah. he, may, he may never recover. Poor and Nick Tompkins, who incidentally I thought was probably Wales' Wales's best player, he was getting it as well. Yeah, yeah very good. Well, well they're, they're still too close to him. <laughs> but it was it was well entertaining. Well, on that subject, match of the weekend, guys. Um. Yes, for, for, as a, as a TV viewer, that was the match of the weekend. But England went pretty close in a different sort of way. We Very weren't good. expecting that. We weren't expecting the sheer guts and passion of it because for some reason that has been missing. And the spectacular George Ford drop goals, all that made a really pretty good occasion. But that, that was theatre last night. Yeah. So you're going Wales, Fiji? Yeah. I'm going England-Argentina purely for the drop goals. I think people, well, obviously Clive Woodward will sing drop goals praises until kingdom come. Um, but obviously it is such a tough skill. And I mean, George Ford's drop goal from the halfway line cleared by a good... Five ten meters, oh, monstrous! It was an unbelievable strike, and then for some reason they had a place kick from the halfway line, and they gave it to Eddie, Elliot Daly, who had already shanked his one to the right. But anyway, England Argentina's mine. Chris, we're split down the middle. Are you swear throwing another one in there? Um, no, I, 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 I don't, th- I don't think so. I, I mean, Wales, the Wales feature game had me screaming at the television, which is either a good sign or not, depending whether you're me or the person with me. Um, uh, or the dog, indeed, who really doesn't like a raised voice. Um, I, I was getting quite, I was getting quite upset at the end because I couldn't see how so many Welshmen were still on the field. I really could not understand it. But it's, um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to sit on the on the fence on this one because I certainly think that George Ford's performance, backed up by a couple of others, thought Ben Earl had a good game as well. I, yeah. I was, um, and 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 that'll be interesting to see what they choose to do it. It, it number eight going forward because he's a very different kind of number eight to Billy Vunapola. Um, uh, I thought Ford's performance was was majestic, but then I'm a I'm a I'm a Ford fan. I mean, I, I think he's I think he's outstanding. I think he's misunderstood by far too many people. Some of them coaches. Uh, I think he's. I, I thought he was. It was a sort of epic performance, but for for the sheer the sheer variety show element the well speechy game was just compelling so um uh i'm i'm going to call this one a draw i don't think our player of the round will be a draw george ford yeah Brendan. yeah it was the outstanding individual performance that that shaped the match he was playing in you know take george ford out of that match and it might have been very very different yeah and lastly moment of the round a bit more difficult Ooh. Ooh, I th- I think I I would well Libox slice. Um, <laughs> um, You're a hard man, Chris. <laughs> Libok, Libok, I, well, if I was his coach, I'd say if I see you slice a ball like that again, you'll never wear the green green. <laughs> never wear the green shirt as long as I'm coach. Um, Libox slice was was absolutely fantastic. Uh, the the heartwarming moment for me was was. When Damian Penno, who's another of my great favourite players at the moment, he scored his try, but the sort of generosity of him just jumping around to the people who had created it was was it summed up 
something in the French spirit at the moment, which you do not always see. And I think it could carry them a very long way. And I think whoever said Peno might be the leading try scorer of the tournament um, uh, last week or whenever it was, they may not be far, far off the mark because he's he's a hell of a player. And and actually, he could have had two, but the tackle the tackle of the weekend was Richie Mohunga on him in the corner because you don't stop Peno from there very often. That was that was remarkable, but yeah, I mean the the way he just went up and gave Jalabert a big cuddle for creating that try, which was quintessentially French in terms of its angles and its delayed passing and its vision. Then that was my moment. Yeah, actually, I was going to mention Monga um, myself. Not only did he do the tackle of the round, he did the tackle of the tournament last year. I don't know if you remember the last World Cup in their pool match. It, uh, Cheslin Colby went off down the right oh. wing and Manga turned yeah. and caught, gave him a five-yard start and caught him from behind, which I would have thought was physically impossible. Um, so he needs big ups. Uh, I'm going to go, though, for... It was just, it, it was just a moment in time. The, the the first Fijian try last night by uh, Nasilevu, the, the centre with the dreadlocks, it was a great, great player. I don't know why he is, his reputation oh. isn't... Higher. And the way he just busts through two tackles, takes off like a sprinter, scores, and the absolute joy, he scored right in front of the Fijian fans there. And that, that was a, just a, a you know, wonderful World Cup moment. That's what it's all about. Uh, and it was kind of like a moment of hope. I thought at that stage, hang on, we might be in for something really special from Fiji here. It didn't quite kick off, but uh, it was a lovely moment. My moment of the round is a bit of a different one. And it's not because it was the best moment of the round, but I don't think I've ever known this to happen, but full-time France, New Zealand, no one knew what the bloody score was. <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed, I was I was doing some social media work for um, World Rugby at the time, and we had to put a full-time graphic out, and I was 100% sure that Jaminet's kick had missed. It went over the right post, the judge by that post had not raised his flag. The other one had, and I was like, okay, well, you go with the one who's in charge of their own post. And then I see on the TV that was it 20, 29 13 was the yeah. was if you're giving it to them and 27 13 if you're not. And I was like, it's 27 13. Then I saw on the TV they announced at the ground 29 13. France then put 27 13. The All Blacks unbelievably increased their margin of defeat, which I think is a collector's item. They put 29 13. We had no idea what to do. And I. I don't know if you guys have never ever seen that before. I'd never had a level of post-match confusion like that. I mean, thank God it wasn't a one-point game. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they needed to get it right because who knows? You know, points difference sometimes is yeah. it's points difference. For sure. Um, I think it was I think it was Cesar this twenty-seven thirty, but it just felt very, very unique. So I thought that um was worth a mention. Well, it is worth a mention, and the unique aspect of it is, I mean, the notion that world rugby doesn't know quite what's going on just completely flabbergasts me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That will take people by surprise, that one. <laughs> well, speaking of surprises, Chris, you're standing by your bold Wales will beat Portugal in the next round prediction. Yeah, I, 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 if they, if they have the same referee and they keep that many players on the field, <laughs> they got a chance anyway. I think, I, think, I, think, I think they have every chance. Yeah, <laughs> hey, people laugh. We haven't seen the Portuguese yet. 
No, they'll be tidy. They'll, they'll give us some nice moments. I can assure you. I've watched. Well, they'll, run, they'll run around. They'll run around like Chile, won't they, Brent? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they they got way better backs than Chile. They just probably Chile had some good forwards. I, I yeah, Chile had some good forwards, but the Portugal backs you could drop into. Well, maybe not quite a full Six Nations, but if you put the Georgia forwards and the and the and the Portugal backs together, you'd have a hell of a good team. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's interesting because obviously Pool C in the next round of fixtures, you've got Australia versus Fiji. We said Pool C was the hardest to call. After that Australia-Fiji game, should Australia get the win? It might, that may now be pool decided, which would be, well, fairly it conclusive. Could work on their, their part. A li- yeah, a little bit of a shame on the Fiji front, but there we go. You just wonder whether uh, every everyone's best mate Eddie has has come up with, you know, as he found himself a full, as he found himself a fullback, as he as he found himself a ten. I mean that they do have, they do have the firepower, ball in hand to hurt people with all of these. I mean Jordan Pataya who has been the next big thing for longer than next big things have existed, looks the part at 13. I mean, I, I okay, it's Georgia, it's not playing the All Blacks, but he's a gifted player and he looked a real handful, a real handful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I, You know, I, I like this Angus Bell. They found themselves a lucid very late in the day. And he looks like he can do a bit. I, I've got no problems with the back five of their scrum at all. I think they're quite good. Um, I don't know what this, whether Tate McDermott's going to come straight back after that knock on the bonds, but it would be just like the Aussies for Carter Gordon and Ben Donaldson to just have a golden run where everything goes right. And the stuff around them, the Corabetis and Karevis and the, the guy with the difficult name on the, on the right wing who's a hell of a player himself, um, I think I think the Wallabies they won't win it, but they can certainly have a role in deciding who does. I don't think it's English arrogance to say that we are now looking like we may well make the quarterfinals. No, uh, and I'm only saying that because I'm asking who we would now rather face off the back of the Austra- opening Australia and Wales performances. That's, that's a very good question. Probably the very... devil you know, really. And I would say Wales, because like Chris, I think this Australia side has got some hidden depth. And in fact, as we've discussed a couple of times, I thought they looked pretty good last November. And when they sent some of these players over, like a sort of second 15, wasn't it? And they, you know, they weren't a million miles short of winning all their matches there. So I think Australia might have a couple of very big matches in them. Uh, I think, you know, I don't think Wales have got a big match in them, but England will at least know what to expect from Wales. Um, if I was England, I would fear the Welsh big, big match instincts. There's, there's just the sort of know-how of... They do have some good game, game managers. They have some explosive players. North is, I think, playing very well. I mean, Dan Bigger may disagree, but I, I think North is playing pretty, you know, very well. Reese Sammet is really dangerous. If Josh Adams, Liam Williams, if they click... If they, if they're in touch with England after an hour, then that's going to be really scratchy for England um, because they they just don't like playing them very much. Whereas the Wallabies, they slightly become used to bullying, not all the time, but in big games they tended to have the have the sort of stick on them. So I would say that if that if England could avoid Wales, they wouldn't worry too much. 
Um, I, I I think I'd I'd sooner play the Wallabies, but as Brent says, the Wallabies. And the big caveat: let's not write Fiji off yet. You know, Fiji will be. Well, no, not at all. They can play better than that, and um, Australia's their World Cup final now, isn't it? They they have to win that one. That's going to be the game. Is that is that this weekend? It is, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's the highlight. That's going to be the game of the weekend. That is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so don't miss that. Well, apart, apart from New Zealand, Namibia. That one, of course. <laughs> I'm going to keep a tally of all these comments, Chris. Are you expect you're expecting a Namibia upset? Um, no, no. I'm expecting them to be. I'm expecting them to be back home uh, before September is out comfortably. Do you know what? Um, and I'm going to write about this at the weekend. But I've, uh, I, uh, the World Cups have, have had a long running. Uh, a long-running problem with scheduling, especially around the smaller countries. Namibia, all their games are being played in 18 days. They got three six-day turnarounds. Three six-day turnarounds. Yeah, that's brutal. And then, thanks for coming, lads. Bugger off home on the first available flight. Go back to your farms, and we'll see you again in four years' time. What a joke. What a joke. And yet Romania are here for like from the first day to the last day of the pools. Uh, and Portugal play their first game after France have played their second game. Yeah. And, and, and you've got you've got teams with 14 days between matches. And Namibia and Namibia are playing four games in 18 days. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, I think they've pulled the wool over eyes on this one about improved scheduling. The tournament might be a week longer, but I'm not sure the actual scheduling is any better for some it's of the It's definitely teams. not more logical, is it? I mean, no. quite I mean, South Africa have got a little bit of a, a compressed schedule. I think their schedules, most of the schedules are sort of 27 days, 28 days. I think South Africa are in 21 days. But then, of course, that gives them a lovely long time to lick their wounds and 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 treat their bruises before what will be a very hard quarterfinal. Yeah, yeah. Whatever happens, so it's uh, I I I do feel sorry for the um, I do feel sorry for uh, the teams that are clearly still considered calm for them. Well, we've got obviously that opening weekend was blockbuster. Australia Fiji the standout round of fixtures, and then we'll build towards the quarterfinals. So we've got. Actually, I may as well preview for our listeners who we've got lined up as special guests. Um, James Hook, Sean Fitzpatrick, David Humphreys, and it's looking like Dimitri Yashvili will be joining us in October as well. So should France be in, still in the tournament by that point, that'll be a great little listen. We'll wrap up there, guys. Great to see you as always. It's worth pointing out on the James Hook front that had he snuck onto the field incognito to make sure that Wales had 16 players and rather than 15, all 16 would still have been on the pitch at the end. (laughs) You can tell him that next week, Chris. (laughs) I will definitely remember to flag that up. On the subject of James, you were talking about not knowing the score. Do you remember... 2011 World Cup, he kicked a conversion against, against South Africa, yes. yeah, which yeah, half yeah, the world yeah. thought went over and half the world didn't think went over. And throughout the whole game, we wasn't quite sure what the score was. Um, yeah. So it wasn't quite as clear-cut as your one, but that was, that was a definite one flag up, no, one flag down. I suppose mine was so unique because it was obviously, what, a few minutes from full time, a couple of yeah, minutes yeah. from full time. And they just obviously hadn't settled on it. But no, I do remember that. I still think Hook missed that kick. And I'll tell him that. That's up to you there. Listeners of this podcast, all I can say to listeners of this podcast is 
feel sorry for Marcelo Bosch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the nicest man in world rugby. The nicest man in world rugby. And there was always something in what he was saying. He didn't want to be too confident about the Pumas against England. And now we know why. No, I know, I know. God, Argentina were poor. A prediction. They will bring Sanchez back at 10. They will... Okay, interesting. They just had one... Yeah, you George need a, a general at 10 when things aren't going well, and things aren't going well for him at the moment. He, he'd have made more sense of it for them at the weekend than, than Paul Alcaraz, yeah. that's for sure. Well, you could tell Carreras was losing his head when he went for a drop goal from the halfway like Ford did. Yeah. Yeah, that is what we got to do. Drop goals. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. This is how we play rugby now. Who have Argentina got next? Actually, they've got they've got a fortnight off, don't they? The, the Argentines next game against Samoa. Samoa, right? Which is, was, was my tip for an upset, but now I think Argentina will get their act together a bit. Oh. I thought Samoa were gonna we're gonna get them on the rebound, you know, of self, you know, maybe the Pumas would win, be self confident. And Samar would land one on them, but I don't think it's going to happen now. No, depending on on how Samoa go, I mean they they do have the potential to be a pain in the neck actually for yeah. for everyone in that group. And England played them last, but now that they've got the Pumas, you know, out of the way and a bonus point, etc., et uh, not, uh, not a bonus point because they didn't score any tries, but um, um, now, now the Pumas are out of the way, then the Samoa game takes on slightly less resonance, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But in any case, obviously, like I say, a slightly quieter weekend in terms of contest, contest this weekend, Australia, Fiji being a standout. And then the weekend after that, we've got Argentina, Samoa, South Africa, Ireland and Wales, Australia. So that we'll be previewing that with James Hook next Wednesday. So do make sure you tune into that. Right, guys, we'll leave it there. Enjoy this weekend. I look forward to seeing you for the same thing next week. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day.